The old world is not coming back. It is not. Local newspapers are not coming back. A version of affinity-driven media for local will be recreated in a new format. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Monday, January 29th, which means it's Media Monday. Today, John Kelly and I sort through the wreckage of the latest round of media layoffs. The LA Times, Business Insider, Condé Nast, and many more outfits announced job cuts last week. What is happening out there in journalism world, and can anything be done about it? We also talk about the continued dominance of Netflix in the streaming wars and how they're smartly navigating a rocky media landscape in ways others have not. We'll discuss all that and much, much more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Happy Monday, everybody. Welcome to the powers that be. If it's Monday, it is Media Monday, of course. I'm joined by John Kelly. We're going to talk about the reign of Netflix today. But first, John, I want to talk to you about all of the layoffs that have been happening in journalism. Uh, there were almost 3,000 jobs lost in the media last year. And you know, I mean, it kind of feels like we're going to pass that number this year, almost certainly. So in the, in the last few weeks, the Los Angeles Times, Time Magazine, Business Insider, Condé Nast, Forbes, the New York Daily News, Pitchfork, which falls under Condé Nast, they have announced cuts and layoffs, leadership changes. This is on top of other job cuts at CNN, The Washington Post, NPR, Vice, Sports Illustrated, Vox, NBC News, CNBC. Mm-hmm. Of course, these are all reflective of larger macro trends about the industry uh, and the business. Um, I think since 2005, 43,000 newspaper journalists, uh, most of them locally, um, have lost their jobs. In 2023, an average of two and a half newspapers closed every week. Um, all of this is a reflection of you know a worse advertising climate, a shift away from ad-driven, ad-supported media, which is driven by clicks and attention. And, you know, there was the decline in the economy over the last couple of years, which also hurt. Um, and also some just poor leadership decisions, bad strategic decisions in certain places that are that are causing this. I was on Twitter all of last week, and I feel like every single moment I opened Twitter slash X, there was someone saying, it's my turn. Uh, after so-and-so years at the Los Angeles Times, I've lost my job if anyone's looking for somebody to cover immigration. And then the next tweet would be another journalist howling about leadership and management not doing the right thing. There are clashes between writers' guilds and executives that are playing out in public. Some of these laments are, you know, legitimately sad. Um, Some of them are cries in the wind, you know, subscribe to your local newspaper, please. Uh, That's not going to help save any jobs given the macro trends and where this has been going for years and years. I'm curious what you think, because you know, it's a bad time for journalism. This is bad for local markets. This is bad for democracy, I think. Um, and there's not a lot of solutions out there in sight. I mean, not everyone is going to like turn around and subscribe to like Puck or The Athletic or The Information or The New York Times because journalism that people pay for, I mean, that's something a small segment of society does actually. And then people's attention 
out there in the world are turning to to video and social media and have been for a while. And it doesn't seem likely that these sort of stolid newsrooms have proven themselves capable of pivoting to uh, video and social media very well. So I don't know. I'm just curious about your response to this wave of <laughs> devastation in the media. Jesus Christ, is anyone still here? Are we all too depressed now? This is um, it, it, the, the, the news. Um, the, <laughs> what am I supposed from, to from, say? <laughs> from bad to worst to worst. Um, so I'm going to take a non-overtly pessimistic view of this and try and look at it more clinically. As you say, the- Good, that's what I, that's what I want. That's why I asked the, you. The, the, the <laughs> headlines, in particular it, last week, it seemed like one after another bad stuff. You enumerated a lot of it. The Sports Illustrated mess, which was actually just a, a sort of a, a, a catastrophe of, of structure more than a catastrophe of, uh, of media. And Paramount, obviously, over a barrel. Bob Beckish announced more layoffs as Ellison and co. And all these guys are looking at the business. The time thing, B.I. laying off 10% after I think already laying off 10%. The, you know, the hits keep coming, Kanye, et cetera, et cetera. The numbers are bleak. But here's how... I think we have to be smart about this. Uh, obviously, since the late 70s, I'm not trying to get uh, pedagogical here, you know, uh, trade technology and the decline of the labor move, uh, movement have uh, imperiled most industries in America, with the notable exception, of course, of finance and, and the creation of uh, alternative assets, which, you know, uh, the hedge fund industry and private equity, et cetera, sort of came into being around then. But no job class is going to be uh, protected from from those forces, and, and journalism is a very public one. And I think if you take an unsentimental look at some of the, the the big stories, what happened to the Washington Post, what's happened at the LA Times, which have been really horrific and played out publicly, you have to take an honest look here and an honest look at the industry, which is the industry has been organized incorrectly or anachronistically for a long time. Here's my view on it, uh, which represents a little of my investment thesis, uh, you know, having started two businesses in, in this space. If you zoom out about a, a decade and a half ago, when the, the real chill of Google and Facebook became apparent, i.e. that they were going to eat up 70% plus of the advertising market, the, the mother's milk of media, a lot of businesses faced a very terrifying conundrum or a fork in the road. Either they had to get bigger or they had to get smaller. The middle was going away, right? They were either going to be a shark or they were going to be a minnow. And if you look at a lot of the businesses that we're talking about that have come under extreme duress, uh, you know, in, in our conversation, both public and private, the LA Times, the Washington Post, Time itself, Vice, BuzzFeed, BI, etc. They all decided they wanted to build up as you said, they all decided that they um, wanted to get into social and video and, and they could, there wasn't a world where you could believe that time, once the most important, you know, media entity in the thinking person's world, in nearly, um, you know, at this point, it's more than a century old, that wasn't going to get smaller, right? The Washington Post, the, you know, arguably the, the second most important non-business newspaper in America, that wasn't going to get smaller. So they got big, they got real big, they invested a lot. Mm -hmm. And they made a lot of decisions that were very rational at the time being. And what we're now seeing as Facebook and Google continue to dominate the market, only with the exception of TikTok now having a potentially considerable foothold in it, and, and also the, the, the attendant recognition that AI is going to be a very real force in, in uh, lowering labor needs, they 
all got bigger than they needed to be. When you look at your news consumption, uh, if you're like me, you it's like streaming. And you subscribe to a lot, probably because you're a good patron, probably because you're a smart, informed person, probably because you see value in it. But when I look at my streaming bill and I say, geez, what am I getting out of Peacock or Paramount Plus that I'm not getting out of Netflix or out of Max or, or Disney Plus, etc.? It really, apply that to news, it obviates the need for a lot of these national publishers, so to speak, who are doing the same stuff as New York Times, which is the Netflix of its space. So what you're seeing now, I think, is a pivot to specificity among these these big kahunas, right? Business Insider, mm-hmm. um, which became Insider, is now Business Insider again, and the 10% of the team that they laid off focuses disproportionately in people who create content outside of the core industries of business, technology, innovation, blah, 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 because they got to be specific again. I believe the LA Times, which is like a unique situation in many ways, but they're they're going to become a whole lot more LA, I think. I, I can't, you know, I think they laid off a lot of their Washington Bureau. They're not going to compete with places they don't need to mm-hmm. compete with. They're, they're learning lessons that, uh, you know, I think people could have advised them on 10 years ago. The Washington Post, I surmise, is going to also find areas where it can compete uniquely as well. So I've repeated this line before in the show and got a lot of flack for it because people thought I was being pretentious. Humor me. I remember when I took Latin as a young, as a student, there was this line from uh, Cicero. Nerd. Right. Rome must shrink to greatness. And that is what is happening for a lot of these companies now. Here's the scary part, though, and it's where I um, amplify your ominous intro. The industry, as it's currently construed, needs fewer jobs than it used to. With the um, yeah. the leveling impact of social media, you don't need a thousand Washington correspondents or White House correspondents. You need a couple, right? Their work gets amplified to many people. Social media is, an, is, a, is a scale media platform, right? It amplifies work. You don't need labor to do that. You used to, right? But the forward line of that industry continued to get more and more specific. And here's where the challenge slash opportunities, maybe this is the silver lining part. Innovation and new thinking is needed now more than ever because the these jobs, uh, as, as horrific as it is to, to go on Twitter and, or X or whatever and see people saying, hey, I was just laid off. And that, that's so incredibly sad, obviously. The old world is not coming back. It is not. Local newspapers are not coming back. A version of affinity-driven media for local will be recreated in a new format. Maybe the Axios guys are, are leading the charge for that looks like. I don't know. I don't know enough about it. But I think if this profession, of which we are members, you know, on, on many levels, is guilty of anything, it is not taking enough risks to figure out the next thing and instead getting understandably mad about what's been taken away. Um, and I understand it, but that's not going to be productive. New solutions are, are desperately needed. A few things you said jumped out at me. One, journalism as a practice. If I was telling a, a young journalist or giving them advice, because I, I get that mm-hmm. a lot and people are like, what would you tell a young journalist today? I do calls and meetings and speak to aspiring journalists all the time. Like the era of the generalist yep. is, is dying. Like you need to be a specialist in something because that's where the future business models are going to be a a niche demand for something and a a media business built around that demand and people willing to pay for it Two, i'm glad you mentioned sports illustrated and la times because it does need to be said those are suffering from larger macro trends but on top of that the situation was made worse by ownership meddling the la times owner truly hates 
himself over this investment. <laughs> I mean, it, it just it, it's painfully obvious this guy paid five hundred million dollars for a company that's never going to return on that, never. And he's yeah. he's just pissed and he doesn't want to put another dollar into it. There's also, I mean, people talk about consolidation of media and, and hedge funds and you know conservative ownership, the Baltimore Sun, for example, that the LA Times example where the, the ownership group is is more liberal and almost more activisty. And it, it's sort of showed it's showed in their newsroom coverage a lot uh, over the last few years. So that's sort of an interesting, unique angle to the LA Times. The other thing you mentioned, I think it always needs to be said, we talk about Facebook and Google bleeding out. The company that originally cut their throat back in the day mm-hmm. was Craigslist, which removed the classified ad business. You also mentioned like where people are getting their information. Um, we did a poll. Puck is now partnering with Echelon Insights for polling. And, you know, we came up with this polling question. Where have you where have you turned within the last week to get news? And like the number one thing people say is local TV news, followed by broadcast news nationally, then local papers or like local newspapers, digital versions, then cable news. Um, and so, you know, local is still the place people turn to and trust. And those have, have continued to be hollowed out. Um, and then in terms of the platforms, I need to correct you a little bit. You, the dominant players when it comes to attention among U.S. adults are YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. And then TikTok is like way down there with Twitter. Oh, but I, I like thought in terms of, of um, in terms of being ad um, ad vehicles, isn't uh, I thought TikTok was now. No, I mean t- TikTok's advertising business is still oh, very. Okay, um, no, no, I stand correct. Sort of like rudimentary. No, no, they're built. They're building it out. I mean, but there's just much more mature players in the advertising space. Like it's very hard for. I talked about this with Dylan on our pod about CNN and, and Mark Thompson's call for a digital revolution. He mentioned TikTok. Um, it's really hard for publishers to monetize on TikTok. You can get attention on there, you can get your brand out there, but like they have still f- haven't figured out a way for publishers and media companies to to make money. Anyway, the, the last thing I was going to say is you're right. I mean, like I can't I'm having a hard time for the 10th year in a row opening Twitter and seeing yeah. people say journalists who have either been laid off or not say, "Please subscribe to your local newspaper." Like no one's seeing that and it's not going to help. Um, and like it just makes me <laughs> even more sad. I don't know what to say about it, but it's just like it is a futile yeah. lament uh, that I continue to see out there and have for many years at this point. You mentioned Mark Thompson, and it just made me think that that is the part of the obsession at Puck with the CNN story is that that is the front line, the most public theater of this battle, this dialectic, this, you know, the the, the resolution to this challenge where you have a leader who's got a lot of well-earned self-confidence, who's going into a place and saying, no more nostalgia. We need new models to figure this out. Will Lewis, the Post, is doing something similar. And mm-hmm. I, I feel like, the, you know, <laughs> there's, a, there's a history of uh, and a culture of, of journalists hating business people. You know, you, you mentioned it. Um, a lot of people point to bad management. It's not bad management. Don't That's a, that's a false argument, with the exception of, I think, the, um, the Arena Group um, Sports Illustrated case. These are evolving business models that managers have to manage through. One of the secrets in all these uh, annual layoffs is that these companies are doing this because they're making their numbers work, right? They, they're businesses. They have to be profitable based on projections, and, and they're making decisions around that. Now, obviously, they're doing this because they have, in some cases, a- antiquated business models. Uh, but the obsession with CNN is because this is a, a, a guy who's coming in and saying, hey, 
you can point to the past all you want, but we need yeah. to do new things here. It's going to be painful. And if you're not with yep. me, then it's not going to work out. And I think that that is fundamentally true. It's, yep. and, and it's it's a hard truth, but it's got to be swallowed. Yeah, uh, it's. I've said it here too. It's commendable that Mark Thompson at least said it. Uh, we'll see what he does. Uh, I want to take a quick break, John, and when we come back, talk about the power, the enduring power of Netflix. Welcome back to the Powers of Be, everybody. It's Media Monday. John, uh, our boy Matt Bellany filed mm-hmm. a piece on Friday called Netflix Wrestles with Its Age of Empire. <laughs> this is a, a different tone about Netflix than one we heard even last year because it just feels like they continue to grow. They continue to make money, even in spite of the economic downturn last year. They continue to be the dominant player in the market, uh, both in terms of attention and revenue. They have made, speaking of our last conversation in the first block, a series of strategic pivots Mm -hmm. in in recent years that have kept them afloat and allowed them to grow. And Matt touches on a bunch of those items in his piece, but why don't you explain it because you're the almighty editor Well, a couple of big bits of news out of Netflix last week. Uh, on Tuesday, announced uh, quarterly results. Bafo quarter, I think, 13 million new subs. They also announced separately that they're paying $5 billion for 10 years of uh, rights to WWE. Congrats to um, to Nick Khan on that. that. That's fantastic news for everyone. Um, suggests that Netflix might be reconsidering its live sports view. And I think that the operating profit was like less than a billion dollars, uh, a little bit less than a billion dollars, which is which is phenomenal given that the streaming services uh, underneath the houses of Paramount and and Disney Plus are not profitable, or Disney rather are not profitable, and, and uh, you know, Zazz's is like, I think, break even-ish. So anyway, cr- uh, unbelievable uh, quarter for Netflix, and um, and Scott Stuber, its, uh, it's head of film, um, is going to be leaving the company, which is something that's been sort of rumored for a while since he was layered by Bella Bajaria um, about a year or so ago. And Matt makes a great point that, that Matt's been early and often about, which is that the streaming wars are over, right? But what we may be entering now is an almost, I think, Amazon-style situation in streaming where Netflix spent a gazillion dollars to build a business. Wall Street sent strong signals a year and a half ago that it thought it could be um, more profitable and, and, and less, you know, um, wasteful of money, you know, i.e. stop making 85, you know, movies a year and, and start licensing stuff from other places and, and be more efficient, crack down on passwords, add advertising, which is, you know, we've now come to fall in love with again, blah, blah, blah. And Netflix pulled all those levers and was massively rewarded. But here's the other piece, too. And it is notable and, and important to, to contemplate. N- Netflix's strategy now is basically to make some stuff, you know, make a lot of shows, make fewer movies than before and license content, suits, sex in the city, etc. from these other cash starved media companies, some of whom are not going to exist in in a year or two. So it's basically pulling their value onto its platform, which is why I use the Amazon example. You know, Amazon became the book publishing industry initially competed with Amazon, and then it needed Amazon. And then ergo, every other industry known to man from CPG to 
clothing, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> and Netflix isn't just pulling away. It's also like creating a moat with an undertow for these other streamers in it. And it's happening before our very eyes. And it's it's nuts. Uh, it, it's one of the most profound 18-month business transitions that you will ever see in media. Like this was, uh, you can't call it a turnaround because it was um, the company was had been so successful and was sort of revalued by Wall Street along with the industry. But um, I have not seen anything like this that I can think of. And, uh, and I welcome our diehard listeners to, um, to email me uh, and tell me that I'm wrong and that they can think of an example. But th- this is just, it's profound. I would like to see Bellany's inbox uh, yeah, after I'm that sure. piece dropped. John, have a great week, buddy. I will see you as always. All right. See you soon, pal. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Ben Landy. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Odyssey. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Bob Tabador, and Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck.